This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Steeler Nation. Welcome to your SteelerNation.com podcast. I'm your host, G Striker. With us again is Hunter Homestack from DKPittsburghSports.com. And since... We couldn't finish our conversation in one podcast. We had to split it up into two. Well, then now we can <laughs> finally leave the Ravens and we're done praising the Ravens. Let's go. Let's go on over to the Cincinnati Bengals and we'll check to see how they did in their draft. Well, obviously, you know, having picking from the number one slot, they should be getting a lot of talent. We have them rated as getting five of our top 115. We have them rated only as getting two in the top 50 and two, but two first round talents. Uh, the way that we break people down, the first one being the top pick of the draft, Joe Burrow, quarterback out of LSU. Yeah, I mean, what's left to say about this guy? I don't. I feel like we almost don't even need to discuss this pick. He his tape in his final year in college was some of the best ever from a college quarterback. One of the best yeah. college quarterback seasons ever. Yeah. But is that is that one year enough? Will it translate? Wouldn't be the first time that a surefire number one overall quarterback <laughs> flopped in the NFL. Yeah. So there's a there's very much a question mark on him right now. And man, for for being 100 percent honest, I thought there was a chance that Andy Dalton, if they kept him, would still start and they would let Burrow kind of learn and acclimate, especially with this shortened off season yeah. that everybody's going to see because of coronavirus. Yeah. I'm genuinely concerned that Burrow will not have enough time to simply learn the playbook. And and I know I saw the reports that he was already digging into the playbook, like before he was even yeah. drafted, basically that they, they were already working with him, getting him acclimated. All that's fine. But until you're on the field, it's totally different. You need those reps. You need to feel it. You need to be around just being in the NFL environment with an NFL schedule and the demands of being the demands of being a first round pick and a first overall pick in that city are going to be rough on him I guarantee he got a ton of media at LSU I get that you're the national champion quarterback all world all everything smoking your cigar after the game he, he's got <laughs> attention and I'm sure he can he can handle it to a degree yeah but man I and again this talking to Devin Bush last year I remember asking him around week 15 I want to say it was definitely near the end of the year near the end of the season where he had enough time to really kind of dig into this question I asked him I said man like you're having a phenomenal rookie season obviously by by Steelers linebacker standards you know you're setting records you're you're setting rookie records for tackles you're you're showing why they moved up to get you what has been most difficult for you and I I definitely expected him to say something football related but yeah. he didn't he said, he said it's the media and the obligations and all the interviews, everything that people don't necessarily think about that's been the hardest for him. It distracts him from time that he can recover. Yeah. It distracted him from time that he could learn and develop mm. from his workouts, from everything. It was a distraction. Now you're talking about Devin Bush was the number 10 overall pick on a defense that was great without him. So he benefited from that as well. The spotlight wasn't directly 
on him. There were other guys to kind of take some of that shine. Joe Burrow is the man, not just in Cincinnati, but in the NFL. Everybody's got his eye, got their eyes on him. So he, I don't know. Like I'm not saying that Joe Burrow can't handle it, but I think that that's going to be an adjustment for him for sure. And anytime you get the name Joe and associated with Bengals or Tigers, everybody sitting at home watching Netflix now is going to have immediately immediate mental images of calling him Joe Exotic in there for the <laughs> for the Bengals in Cincinnati. And we'll see if he's able to maybe he comes out like Joe Exotic did, taking the world by storm. Everybody knows his name, but it didn't end well for Joe Exotic. <laughs> but, yeah, sure. So that's, well, one way or another, one I think one way or another, he's taken the world by storm. I don't see – one thing I would definitely say about Joe Burrow is that I don't see an average NFL career for this guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's either going to completely fall on his face or he's going to excel and be exactly what we saw – well, maybe not exactly what we saw at LSU because that, that was just ridiculous. Yeah. But but very good you know, Pro Bowl-level quarterback who, who justifies his number one overall pick. But I, I don't see him just being average. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you made a great point, too. It was a complete head-scratcher for them to dump Andy Dalton. I mean, yeah, he's not. you're trying to work in and you're trying to have this high draft pick come in and, and compete and be the guy, but it would have been smart to at least have one more year out of Andy Dalton as opposed to just dropping him and, and, and not getting any draft capital. And it, like, I, it just didn't make any sense to me. Now, now, was Andy Dalton, was he a complete free agent, or did they just cut him? I think they cut him yeah. as far as I know. Yeah. So that's, that's, it's a, a complete head scratcher to me because yeah. I mean, you could talk about trading him for draft capital, but what's the reason why would you even just, just flat out cut the guy moving into a shortened season with coronavirus and having a brand new quarterback that's never thrown a down in the NFL. It just does not make sense. Yeah. And he got, I think, 3 million guaranteed from the Cowboys and, and that can potentially go up to 7 million based on incentives. Yeah. I, if I was the Bengals, it's easy when it's somebody else's money, right? Yeah. Right. But Andy Dalton, the development of Joe Burrow is worth $7 million to keep him around. Like if that's what it would have taken to, to make sure that you had that insurance, so to speak, mm-hmm. that's well worth it if you want to slowly bring Burrow up. But again, the, these are smart NFL GMs who have done their research. Maybe they talked to Burrow. Maybe they've had interviews with him about and quizzed him on the playbook. Maybe they feel that he's legitimately ready and we're confident enough in that. So we'll see, man. That's anytime you have the number one overall pick, it's, it's interesting and it leads to plenty fodder and chatter, but until we see him on the field, there, there really won't be any answers. And then their second pick was my all time favorite wide receiver in this draft I I like them better than a lot of the first round talents because I like the side speeds size speed hands ratio wide receivers when I'm evaluating wide receivers do they have great hands do they have big hands are they fast are they quick in and out of breaks and are they big like when they're six four I mean come on I mean this guy is going to be a mismatch anywhere on the field for I mean to me even looking at him it's like they're going to have two A.J. Greens going out and catching passes. Plus, they already have Auden Tate, who was a seventh-rounder, who I, I thought was the best seventh-round film I've ever seen on a receiver. And 
you know, as far as the Steelers know how to get wide receivers, the Bengals know how to draft wide receivers too. They usually go for the more big-bodied guys that can kind of do a little bit of everything, not necessarily those speed burners, deep ball guys, but those guys that are always going to get open in those intermediate short possession routes and keep those chains moving and then make plays after the catch. And this is one of those guys. Yeah, I'm right with you. I was I was actually pretty shocked that he fell out of the first round. Yeah. I had him as a short fire first round talent. Yeah. I mean, he he I, you can either see this as a benefit that he played with, you know, one of the great college quarterbacks of our time right now, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, mm-hmm. or you can say, "Hey, that just made him more NFL ready." You know, that experience with a quarterback who's going to make the right reads and see you the right way is going to benefit you at the next level. What I think we can talk about T Higgins all day and what he does as a receiver. Like you said, big body, fast, great hands. He has all those attributes you want. Yeah. But the real, the real genius of this pick for me is that you've now paired an elite young receiver with your hopefully elite young quarterback to grow together. Yeah. You've got them great both point. in this, in the same, yep. In the same round to just kind of develop this chemistry that not only will help you right now, just in having the talent, but that you can build upon and really develop something with. So I think that that's a potentially special pairing right there. Yeah. Burrow and Higgins. I mean, you think about Dalton and AJ Green, they had that to a degree, you know, yep. Dalton and Green came in together and were paired at the hip, you know, that, that was, a, uh, people can talk about Andy Dalton all they want, but Dalton to Green was lethal. Yeah, it was. He was fans felt it from times. AJ Green, one of the absolute best receivers taken in the past decade plus so if they if they pulled it off again and and now we're talking two guys who maybe have even more upside burrow for sure way more upside than andy dalton t higgins i won't say has more upside than aj green but maybe equivalent to that if you've got that man you're, you're talking about something special the Bengals just did with their first two picks yeah. or it'll totally flop which would be the most bang thing ever <laughs> but yeah, yeah that's the line and that's and you're right. That association with Dalton and AJ Green was five straight playoff appearances. So you know th- th- it could be yeah. some, a factor to start getting that offense up and moving. And I still love AJ Green is just one of my all time favorite wide receivers to to watch because he does everything right. He's he's like he's not quite as perfect as. Um, Larry Fitzgerald, in my mind, with how perfect his hands are, but but still, it seems like he has more of this acrobatic catch ratio, and his ability to high point as well, and he can get higher because he's he's bigger than Fitzgerald. It's just I, I just love watching those bigger receivers going up and making plays on those balls, like like the Megatrons as well, and now we've got a Claypool. So I'm I you know and even with Plexico Burris, it's just. I like the big man on the field that can get open and make plays on the ball. And it's to have two of them and now three with Auden Tate being another big guy as well. It's it's just, it's unreal how they keep finding tall receivers that can make plays in that Cincinnati offense. Yeah. And you love to watch it, but I guarantee you quarterbacks love throwing to it even more. You know, how many years, how, (laughs) how many years have we heard Ben say, just get me a big, I want a big, fast receiver. And he's had it in spurts, you know, Martavis probably being the best example of exactly what he wanted. Yeah. And it was Sammy like we like we said about Adrian Green. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was lethal when he had it and when it when it worked, but for, for various reasons it didn't sustain. So mm-hmm. Burrow not only has Higgins, who is an elite wide receiver prospect, 
but he's a huge body just to throw it up to that may be able to bail him out of some of those early rookie mistakes versus a Deontay Johnson where the game is built on precision and timing. That's going to be a lot harder than just gripping it and ripping it. So yeah. I like the I like the combination, not just from the developmental standpoint, but from the standpoint that Higgins is the exact type of body mm-hmm. that I feel like a rookie quarterback can really benefit from having. Nice. And then the Bengals ended up continuing in the draft, and then they went linebacker heavy with their next three picks. They went Logan Wilson with Wyoming. They went uh, Akeem Davis uh, Gaither out of Appalachian State, and then Khalid Kareem, the edge rusher from Notre Dame, who I had mocked in one of my earlier mock drafts. So really interesting that they're trying to solidify the center of their defense with their next three picks. I I absolutely loved those three picks in general. Yeah. Um, I loved the Akeem Davis Gaither pick specifically, and I completely thought that the Steelers were going to take him. Obviously, mm-hmm. less of a need after drafting Highsmith and, and everything they did with their own draft, but yeah. he was a guy who, like like you said, in early mocks, he was a guy that I absolutely saw that would be on their on their short list. He just looks he looks like an NFL outside linebacker to me. He he has the explosion, he has the twitch, he has the blitzing skills. Yeah. What he what could get him in trouble is his lack of true linebacker size. I think he he's again just a broken record that linebacker safety hybrid we keep talking about. Yeah. He has that kind of size. But again, that that could be a good thing. That could definitely serve him well and he could round out his coverage and become a lethal lethal weapon in that regard. So, I loved that pick. Logan Wilson for sure is a more fundamental kind of pick that that's a guy who just looks like your NFL middle linebacker super solid uh tackling fundamentals you this is a guy who I feel like is not doesn't have the upside Mm -hmm. but has the floor you're talking about a high floor low ceiling kind of guy with him to me which is good every defense needs that guy and specifically in the middle of the field for a guy who maybe they think can become the captain of that defense and call the plays and kind of become the commander if that's what they see him as being, that that's, that's a perfect role for him in the NFL, I think. He was a guy as well that I had kind of mocked to the Steelers a couple of times that I'd seen mocked to them. So all in all, the Bengals going offense heavy with those first two picks with elite upside offensive picks and then kind of mixing it up a little with the defensive picks. Some guys with uh, potentially low floors with Akeem that I think he, he could be He's a bust candidate to me, but I yeah. see the extremely high upside as well. I yeah. see that upside, and I can I can just as easily see that happening as I can see him busting. Yeah. But then taking Logan Wilson, who I feel like is almost a surefire starter in the NFL that maybe doesn't have the same ceiling. Yeah. So I like I like what they did there in kind of taking the chance, so to speak, and, and just solidifying the center of their defense a little bit. So yeah, man, ditto ditto for the Ravens and just to get ahead of the conversation a little bit. Yeah. The entire AFC North drafted really well, I think. The yeah, Browns drafted did. well as well. Yes. So we're just gonna we're gonna keep repeating that yeah. Yeah, <laughs> as yeah. a warning in advance. But you expect it out of the team drafting in the one spot every round to have a lot of talent. Now I think the Ravens got more talent out of their draft, but still Cincinnati had a very, very valuable draft though they kept going to the well at linebacker. It, it seems that they really, really have a need to improve the middle of their field and their special teams. So with their sixth pick, they take a guard, um, Hakeem Adeniji uh, out of Kansas, and then they get Marcus Bailey, another linebacker from Purdue, with their last pick in the seventh. Sure. What I, I mean, they're, they're okay picks. Neither, neither one of those picks 
wowed me yeah. really, but it did reveal the major failing, I think, in, in the Bengals draft. And that is that they waited until the sixth round to address their offensive line, which to me yeah. was their biggest need going yeah. after quarterback. Of course. To yeah. me, that, that was their biggest need. And you just invested your number one overall pick in a quarterback. You have to protect the guy. You just have <laughs> yeah. to. And then, and then <laughs> so, they go four of their four of their seven picks. They're taking linebackers. So it's a, you're exactly right. they, they should exactly. have spread out the line a little bit more. It was a problem coming into the draft, and it's even more of a problem now coming out because now you've got that number one pick that that you just put him in jeopardy. Uh, you know, of just getting crushed every game. How many rookie quarterbacks have we seen? Uh, I think David Carr leaps to mind the most yeah who you he gets laughed at a lot and I definitely get that he, he's like the butt of jokes a lot of how terrible of a quarterback he was but mm. no quarterback is good when they're throwing from their back yeah I'm sorry and he's like he, ne- he never way, yeah. he literally never had a chance and not to mention not even to say what that does mentally to you in year one when you're just getting crushed and crushed and crushed yeah you can't get comfortable in the pocket you're just expecting that every time you drop back now you, you don't get comfortable. You're more worried about the pass rush than actually making your reads. It can completely ruin careers. Now I'm not saying the Bengals, the Bengals have such a scary offensive line that that's going to happen to Burrow. Mm. Their first round pick last year, Jonah Williams missed the entire season with shoulder surgery. And he's an offensive tackle that they, that they think can do great things now that he's healthy. But coming back, coming back from shoulder surgery, having your first year in the league, protecting Joe Burrow. There's a lot of pressure on this guy. And you've got to deal with those AFC North defenses coming off the edge. You've got Miles Garrett. You've got TJ Watt, Bud Dupree. You've got all these elite edge rushers in the yeah. AFC North. Yep. So it's not easy in this in this division specifically. You, that offensive line has to be rock solid or you're going to see problems. So as much as I did like the Bengals draft in general, I think when you – you see that they waited until the sixth round to address the offensive line. You've just revealed the key failing that they've done. And it could be a crucial failing in that it could undermine everything that they tried to do before that. I mean, that, that can set the tone for everything else. If Joe Burrow doesn't work out, then we're talking about a totally different draft for this team. Yeah, that's an excellent point too. So we'll have to see how that line can come together to hopefully keep Joe exotic on his feet and not in jail like <laughs> he is now. So Moving on to the Cleveland <laughs> Browns, it's they, they another good draft, like we're saying, out of the Browns as well. They get a lot of talent. They pulled four of our players that we had on our list from Matt Papiernik and uh, C.J. Lester's top 115 on SteelerNation.com. And number one pick, picking at the 10 slot, they take Jedrick Willis, top offensive tackle out of Alabama. That, it took exactly one pick for me to say, okay, Andrew Barry's serious. Their new GM, mm-hmm. he he's got it figured out. He's he's not just following protocol. Like yeah. like you said about the Ravens, you still think it was Ozzy a GM. You know, you, you still thought it was him. Yeah. This was very obvious that there was a new regime in town because the old Browns, there were so many just shiny toys on the table for them to look at, these splashy, you know, wide receivers or running backs that they could have gotten cute and tried to just gone for the most talented just eye-popping guy right there yeah but they said you know what no no we need protection we need to solidify our offensive line and they took who in my opinion was the best tackle available right then in Jedrick Wills so Mm -hmm. as soon as they made that pick I I said to myself okay like it it is it's a new sheriff in town for the Browns that with this new GM Andrew Barry so yeah 
talk about making an impression with his first draft pick as the GM. That that was a great way to do it in my eyes. That was the smart pick right then. Absolutely the right pick to make. Then their next three picks, they're going defense, and they start off hard. They get the uh, LSU safety, Grant Del Pete, with their first pick in the second round. Yeah, he was a guy that I, I actually thought the Steelers were going to take at 49 mm-hmm. if he made it to them. And, yeah. and I was surprised. This is a first-round first talent in my eyes. I was surprised he made it that far to begin with. Yeah. I mean, you talk about much as, we, as much as we talk about safeties kind of changing the game nowadays and how, how much more crucial they've become in today's NFL, to get a gift like that at 44, once again, necessarily a position that I looked at as a dire need for the Browns, mm-hmm. but just understanding like, Hey, we got a gift right here. We got it. We got to take it. We got to go with him. It reminds me of when the Steelers took David DeCastro and we saw how that worked out for them. It wasn't a need really for them by any means. It wasn't even a position that a lot of people thought they would look at, but when you get a talent like that, that slides to you, you need to have the presence of mind to say stocking up on elite talent is good. No matter, no matter what, that's a good thing to have on your team. We'll make him work. So I loved that pick from them. And I, I loved what they did after him as well with Jordan Elliott, defensive yeah. tackle. I yeah. mean, he, he was a guy I saw mocked again. I saw him mocked to the Steelers several times. So he was a guy that I got to watch some as a potential Hargrave replacement. Yes. But just what I love about it more than anything is that they did not get enticed by the shiny toys out there. And that I know I'm going to keep saying that, but that's the most Browns thing of the last several years is we've got all these players, all these players you've heard of and all these splashy guys, but no chemistry and no rhyme, no rhyme or reason to it. There is a rhyme or reason to these picks right now and the way they're building their team. They're building fundamentally sound guys with upside. Yeah. And that's what they need is they need that fundamentally sound because they just haven't been able to get off the ground. They've, They've spun their wheels for so many years, despite all this talent. They have, it's it, just to make an analogy there, it's like a car that has all this horsepower, but absolutely no traction. It just can't put the horsepower to the road and, and it just spins its wheels. So, what they've done now is really beefed up these less sexy elements of the team, but the elements of the team that matter for just this total team success. So, when you look at their draft as a whole, I think that's kind of the theme here is it's not. None of those picks, you can look at them top to bottom. It's not, it doesn't like pop off the page. Yeah. It's not these catchy, catchy, splashy picks, but they're just fundamentally sound. Hmm. And they should make the Browns a better team, which is obviously the ultimate goal here. And how many years in a row have we been hearing, look out, here come the Browns. They've got all that talent. Here they come. Problem is they had all that yep. talent, but they didn't have the trenches to, to keep that talent get that talent open or keep the plays lasting long enough or have the playmakers make plays. Now they're hitting the trenches. Yep. Now they're making these big picks that Jordan Elliott pick being that big defensive tackle that you're saying that we were looking at as well, being a possible nose tackle slash Hargrave replacement. And the, in our division, we have to worry about the Ravens. Ravens are a running team. They're like the only them in Tennessee are like the biggest running teams in the NFL right now. So if, if you don't have a way to at least slow down or, or counter a strong running team, you're going to get shelled by the Ravens. And we got to play them twice a year. Yeah. So they, that's Cleveland knows that too. They got to play them twice a year. So bring in Jordan Elliott. Let's help solidify that defensive line. Let's see if we can get out, get make some disruption in the backfield, kind of like a Hargrave-ish type thing, push the pocket back to hopefully disrupt some of this rushing attack. And that's what you can do when you start picking up guys like that. Then they also 
continue on defense again with Jacob Phillips getting the an LSU product. They, they went SEC there like the whole first round. <laughs> so not you know smart for uh, a team also because I felt during the coronavirus it was going to be really, really, really difficult to, to really get the great tape on the smaller school guys. So a lot of the top fives, a lot of the SEC guys, a lot of who you have a lot of tape on are going to be the guys that are going to go off the draft board early and Cleveland Browns being perfect example, Alabama, LSU, Missouri, LSU, first four picks. Yeah. And I, I actually checked him out on tape as well. And one thing that I didn't love about him was his lack of just pure power and strength, especially uh-huh. in the hole. I, I saw him just kind of get swallowed up by blockers time and again, oh, wow. and kind of lacking that elite, that elite ability to just shed blockers. So that's potentially not going to work out well for, for him at the next level. And just keeping with their picks, you know, the the next round in round four, they take Harrison Bryant, tight end out of Florida Atlantic. Yes. Same exact issue with him. He's a guy who I don't know that he's going to have the power at the NFL level to make it work. He he has ideal size. He's like 6'5", 240, I think, as a receiving tight end. But he ran a 4'7", 3, only did 13 reps on bench. 13 bench press reps is very alarming to me. I don't know if he had an injury or wasn't yeah. trying or what. But for a tight end to only put up 13 reps, and he does have long arms, which I'm a long, lanky guy too. I remember yeah. in high school whenever whenever me and my friends would bench press and I would make excuses that my arms were longer so it wasn't fair. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I get that, Harrison. <laughs> so that, that's a real thing, but 13 is still pretty alarming. He doesn't have elite athleticism by any means. It's not one of these tight ends that you just look at and instantly fear that vicious combination of size and speed like a Travis Kelsey Mm -hmm. or George Kittle. So I I don't know that he's going to exactly bring what they think at the NFL level. For me, looking at the Browns draft as a whole, Harrison Bryant's the guy that I look at as kind of the most head-scratching pick. Yeah, for me, at least tight end-wise, the only point that I'll make – about this tight end draft class, which was terrible. There was really no playmakers in this entire draft class. Cleveland at least went to the smaller schools and found a productive tight end. I mean, his numbers are probably better than any tight end drafted this year. 65 receptions, over 1,000 yards, scored seven touchdowns. I mean, that's better than just about everybody else in this draft. So that didn't wasn't supposed to be a wide receiver projecting as a tight end. Like I'm not talking about like Moss and I'm not talking about Claypool that some people were trying to project him as a tight end as well. I'm talking about strictly tight end, tight end. And, you know, so kudos to them, at least finding somebody that was productive in college. They're hoping that they can coach up and translate to be a good tight end. Obviously they don't need a starting tight end. They need more backup depth. And it it is alarming to, to see, him put up such low numbers in the bench press because what you're usually expecting out of your second and third tight ends is an extra tight end to come in and help out blocking in the blocking game. And that's one of the metrics that all coaches utilize to say, can this guy block? He only put up that many reps. Uh, I don't know about this guy. So, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Can he definitely add some size to that frame? Yes, he can. He's a big guy, Um, you know, being six foot five uh, already at, 240 is what he's saying. He doesn't look 240 on <laughs> on his frame, but I think he's got room to pack right. on some more muscle onto that frame. He's still young. So we'll see. But obviously, when you're drafting down around the sixth round, it's you're drafting for developmental guys anyway. So that's definitely a developmental. Sure. Player. Yeah. 
Yeah, and just to add to that, like you said, I think the Steelers have have given us over the years a perfect example of the way they try to play that second tight end position, whether it was Matt Spath or Jesse James, a yep. type like that. Yep. What, what's interesting about this pick to me is that in in taking Harrison Bryant, who is very much a receiving tight end, now they have three receiving tight end. They they obviously paid big money for Austin Hooper. Yeah. David Njoku, they picked up, they picked up his fifth-year option. Yeah. These are two purely receiving tight ends. So now to add a third one, a rookie, yeah. who is also a purely receiving tight end, they have absolutely no kind of pure blocking, just make the smart catch, get that eight-yard reception on third down that you might need kind of tight end. Mm-hmm. They've, they've completely stacked the deck with these kind of thinner, shiftier, receiving tight end so I, I just don't understand the philosophy there and not at least mixing up the room because Njoku and Hooper are already good yeah. I don't think Bryant ceiling is what those two ceiling is I don't think he can get to that level so at least mix it up and give you some variety at tight end that 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 to me is specifically why I don't understand the pick is that I don't know that he's an NFL ready tight end to begin with his lack of strength is definitely a concern to me yeah but furthermore it's just a it's a poor fit in their tight end room, I think. And that's a great point, too, because Steelers in that draft when they picked Matt Spath strictly picked Matt Spath to be a blocking tight end. And this draft, like yep. we're saying, was we're saying it's not a good tight end draft. Now, let me send a caveat to that. It's not a good tight end for athletic production, in my opinion. Like I'm saying, I, I think Nick, uh, so I'm, I think Harrison Bryant is one of the most athletic tight ends in this draft. But yeah. what you could find in this draft was blocking tight ends. If you wanted to go out and get a road grading blocking tight end, you could have done it in this draft. Cleveland chose not to do it in this draft. What's their right. offensive philosophy? Are they they do don't want to run the ball or they want to run tight two tight end spread sets? I don't know. <laughs> so mismatch in height, I don't know, but we'll ha- we'll see it a little bit more or maybe they're going to try to square peg round hole it trying to force Hooper and Njoku to try to come up in the on the line and 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 force a rushing game cuz they they do have some banging backs and they have some good linemen. Uh but as far as for going to the edge or trying to run it outside, it's going to be a lot tougher with those type of guys holding the blocks on those edges. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They have a great team on paper. I don't think yeah. anybody would deny that even last year that no. they have players at positions and I'll, I'll probably make some listeners kind of angry with this one, but I think Baker Mayfield's a good quarterback yeah. as well. I've been very impressed with, with some things I've seen from him. He's very inconsistent, which is what you see from a rookie and second year quarterback who's in a not perfect, situation you know you're going to see inconsistencies and and things like that so I think what we've seen from him is to be expected now this this year for me though for Baker is the tell-all year he either figures it out this year or he never figures it out to me because three years especially as much as he started there's a difference between being a third-year player like you know Aaron Rodgers where you got to sit behind a legend and just learn yeah I understand that being thrown to the fire right away is going to come with its own set of challenges but this he's had plenty of time to figure it out by this point and he's had like I said he's had those moments where you saw it and you said okay well that's why they picked Baker Mayfield so it's it's an issue now of him just piecing that all together and doing it consistently that can take him to the next level I think he can do it and I think they've definitely put the pieces around him to do it to help take the pressure off him solely especially like we said with that first round pick going offensive line. And uh, one of the big things I've seen said about 
uh, Jedrick Wills was that he's a right tackle in college, but will be expected to play left tackle and protect Mayfield's blind side. Absolutely a concern. That's absolutely a concern. But mm-hmm. I saw Joe Thomas, who obviously <laughs> legendary Browns left tackle for years upon years upon years, was talking on Twitter and just kind of saying that the coaching staff can absolutely work with that. It's not as big of a deal as people say it is. And Jedrick specifically, the traits that he brings will allow him to make that transition. So for me, that's kind of not, not so much a point after hearing Joe Thomas say, and of course he's got some Browns bias. He's still a Browns fan at heart. You can tell from his Twitter and the things he said, but to hear him say it, a guy who's been in that system and has done it for years at an elite, elite level, to hear him say it, it gave me a lot more confidence that that pick's going to work out for them. Um, overall, man, like we said, the AFC North kind of crushed this draft, but I like, I'll toss it back to you. Actually. Yeah. I know, I know you're the host, but I'm going to toss it to you on Donovan Peoples Jones, because I know you studied these wide receivers. So the Browns take him in the sixth round. I, the first I did. thing I yeah. see on this guy. Now the one yeah, thing I, 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 I want to touch base on before we hit him is Nick Harris, the center that they took out of Washington, which I thought was a killer pick as well. Um, oh man. Yeah. I thought this was totally a, skipped over that. Yeah. This is a draft where I felt the NFL completely overlooked centers and centers dropped like a rock in this draft. Uh, I thought there was a possibility for the Steelers to go center early. I, I mean, there was a, a couple players that I liked as being possible fits uh, for the Steelers early on in this draft, but you know, to get a player of Nick Harris's uh, ability from the, He's out of Washington State. I'm sorry, out of Washington University, University of Washington, um, is fantastic because I mean, I mean, he's not the biggest. I mean, he's six foot one, three hundred pounds, so like good size for a center. But the fight and the dog in this guy, he's a heck of a blocker. Um, I think he can project to being a starter in the future. But it's still great that you can find that kind of talent, possible starter that late in the draft, especially at center. That's a great point. And, and I actually talked about this guy with uh, our at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Chris Carter. He's kind of our football X's and O's analyst. I remember talking about him because we were looking at centers. Yeah. And Carter didn't. Like, I remember he didn't like that. A, he's basically a pure center. Nick Harris. Yes. He doesn't offer any other positional value like a lot of these, especially late round offensive linemen. I mean, you look at Kevin Dotson, who the Steelers got. And they feel like that's a guy who can literally play anywhere on the offensive line, including center. He's mm-hmm. adding that to his repertoire. So yeah. you talk about that. And we saw for, for years with BJ Finney, how valuable that was to have a guy who you could just trust to either play center or guard. Yeah. Nick Harris doesn't do that. He, he's strictly a center. He, he hasn't learned how to play any other position along the offensive line. And furthermore, like you said, he doesn't have the size or the athleticism really to even yeah. learn it or do it. So that's going to constantly limit him at the NFL level, he is 6'1", 302, which sounds okay on paper. Mm. But when you look at the guy, he, he, I'll say this, he'll benefit from an NFL strength and conditioning program, I think. He looks a little soft. Mm. <laughs> he looks a little, I, I don't want to say out of shape, because obviously he's an elite Division One lineman. Yeah. But he just doesn't strike you as an, as an NFL center when you just see the guy. So he's going to need NFL strength and conditioning and those things. But to start with, like you said, I think you phrased it, the dog and this guy. That's exactly yeah, what I saw with him as well. Yeah. He, he, yeah. It's a great, again, a great place to start for a center and an offensive lineman. If you've simply got the will to win those battles in the trenches, that's step one. Once you have that, the rest can be taught and learned. So I, I like that pick as well, just as you did. Yeah. And 
like you're saying as well, he's not that athletic center. He's not that pouncy, dirt Dawson type guy that the Steelers love that, that are athletes and can move anywhere on the field, can pull, can get to the second level faster than our running backs can. And, and you know, yeah, he's not that type of center, but he is a road grader. He, he loves to block. He loves to head up block. He gets a lot of passion in the running game, and he, he can make those holes. So starting off, he's got some tools. But like you're saying, when you can start getting the – Day three, fifth, sixth, seventh round, you do have projects. And he's a project, but I like his potential. I think he's, he's got a high floor, mm-hmm. but, you know, I don't think he's going to be an elite elite center at all, but I think he's got the ability to come in and, and start in this level eventually and, you know, possibly just hold hold force until they get a more athletic center. But at least it's it's a good good thing to to build on. And another point, too, is is – some people think that being a center center is a disadvantage, but in my opinion, center is a skill position. It's the only skill position on the offensive line. They're touching the ball every play. I don't see it as a negative for a guy that only played center in in college when you're looking for specifically center depth. And this guy checks those boxes. So, yeah, he's probably not going to bounce out to guard. He's definitely not going to bounce out to tackle, but – if your top center goes down, you've got somebody that knows how to snap the ball at a, at a high level that you don't have to worry about that transition to the next guy putting balls on the ground. Hey, man, maybe, maybe he'll be eligible. Maybe maybe they'll convert him into that blocking tight end we talk about that they need at the NFL. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Split him out wide. Yeah, but moving then to somebody that can actually catch the ball, their last pick is one of my favorite picks uh, in in this whole draft for a late round wide receiver. This is a wide receiver that I had pegged for the Steelers because I thought Steelers were going to go big receiver early in the draft because that's where the value was, getting those over six foot two guys that are fast. And then later in the draft, finding a slot guy, quick twitch, yeah. fast guy. And that is Donovan Peoples-Jones to a T at Mich- coming out of Michigan. Um, I mean, I'm going to talk about him at length, but what did you like about him specifically, Hunter? What I liked right off the bat and i i'm i'm not a huge guy on just numbers but when you see six foot two with a 44 and a half inch vertical yes. i see a lot to like with that right off the bat yes. <laughs> i mean that's like like we've kind of said repeatedly if you got to start somewhere like with nick harris for a center if mm-hmm. you just start with that grit and determination okay we can mold that lump of clay yeah with donovan people's jones you're six two and you have a forty four and a half inch vertical. Okay, we can mold that piece of clay. Yeah. And he did run, I think, a four four eight. So he ran a four sub five. Great, yeah. just straight speed. Yeah. Um, I will, I guess, disagree with you a little bit on the twitchiness. I didn't see so much of that on tape that yes. I would have liked to see as far as sharp routes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I saw kind of corner cornerbacks were able to kind of sit in his pocket despite his speed and size. So I think that could be a problem gaining separation at the NFL level. I think that's, in my eyes, primarily why he fell to the seventh round. Yeah. But again, that there, therein lies exactly the point here. We're talking about a seventh round receiver, not a first round pick. And the, the sheer upside of having a six foot two receiver with that kind of vert who runs that kind of speed. Okay. In the seventh round, that's well worth the dart throw in my eyes. Yeah. And you're right. I, I did misspeak about his quick twitchiness, at least in the short area. But he hits the number one metric in like that all all wide receivers are measured by one man, and that is Jerry Rice. And the Jerry Rice <laughs> metric is six foot two, two hundred pounds. Bam, six foot two, two oh eight. And you don't have to be fast. Rice wasn't a fast guy; he was a four seven guy. 
But what this what Rice did was he got open through his root running, through his feints. He was he was the he is the perfect root runner, and his hands were perfect. Perfect hand placement, perfect root running. Now with Donovan Peoples Jones, obviously he's not Jerry Rice. I'm not comparing to him other than the Jerry Rice metric. But what I really liked about his film was that he's not only does he have the speed, it translates to the field. Not only does he have yep. great hands and a good size hands, but he, he knows how to utilize them, keep them hands ready out of his breaks and great hand positioning to attack the football to fully utilize that height and that vertical too. Cause that's, that's big. It's good to have vertical height, but are you one of those people that come back and high, know how to track and high point of football? This guy can do that. He's right. a, and he's a great right. combat catcher. He's making catches with, in between two, three defenders, people around his, his, his people at his uh, waist, and he's jumping up and he's attacking that football before they can read on it. So that's the type of stuff that I love out of these kind of players. He and he also like he he does lack the short area quickness for me to really be a, a pure slot receiver and somebody that can get open quickly. But what he does well is he gets good separation on the intermediate to deep routes. He's good about set, setting up those those corner post plays to with his footwork and with his feints to, to get open and to make the cut at the right time where the defender is off of the wrong foot and he's going to be open. So route running right now, like is, is something that I really like about this player where they could utilize him possibly as a third um, wide receiver or in a, a big slot role if they wanted to bro- drop, drop him inside for certain certain aspects, but a lot of the big slot I'm talking about still send him on intermediate routes as opposed to more, more work in the short area quickness, but he can still work the hitch. He can still work coming back to the football and attacking that football in that slot role as well. And that's amazing. Like this, this draft, like I'm able to talk about a guy at length in the sixth and seventh rounds of this draft at wide receiver. And that is how incredible this draft was for wide receivers. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm sure we're going to have some undrafted rookie free agents that are going to make their name in the NFL that came out <laughs> because they didn't get drafted. Because I, it's how deep this draft was at wide receiver. For sure. And I, I think you touch on a really valuable point there in, in Donovan Peoples-Jones' skill set. And as much as I talked about how they kind of botched Harrison Bryant in my eyes as far as a fit, I think he is the perfect fit at wide receiver mm-hmm. because you've already got Odell Beckham Jr. You've yep. already got Jarvis Landry. Yep. You're talking about two two elite, quick, twitchy, intermediate routes yep. kind of receivers. So now you add that pure burner over the top. It's just going to give yep. defenses one more thing to worry about. He, unlike Harrison Bryant, is the perfect complement to what they already have in their wide receivers room. So. I love the pick on that level. He, I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones can be a problem for sure. Just, yeah. just size, size and speed never goes out of style in the NFL. <laughs> as much as things can change, as much as I said earlier how much I love the kind of Deontay Johnson mold of receiver moving forward, yeah. just sim- simply, simply being taller and faster than somebody is always a good thing to have. So he has that going for him. And again, seventh-round pick. There, there's a lot to like with the Browns draft in general. For me, it's the second best draft in the AFC North behind the Ravens. Agree. And then I actually think, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then I, I think the Steelers and the Bengals can kind of battle it out. The Steelers probably had the worst draft by virtue of just not having as many picks and not having high picks at all. Yeah. So that definitely handicapped them. But I think everybody knew that coming in as well. So coming out of it, I'll say this just because kind of a final kind of wrap up, mm-hmm. man, 
how much more fun is the AFC North going to be this year than it was last year? I think there's no no easy games anymore in this division. Competition, and like we say, I don't understand how the AFC East never was able to find any yin to the uh, New England Patriots yang over decades, uh, 20 years. I mean, you had one flash in the pan with Mark Sanchez having two good years taking the crown away from New England, but it's like the way the the AFC North works, it's always these teams battling. I mean, and yeah, we are used to a Steeler fan seeing Cleveland and Cincinnati being the butt of jokes over these last couple of years, but they've got the talent now. I mean, honestly, I, I fully expect, you know, Cincinnati may just take a step back only because they have an, an inexperienced quarterback off of the bat. You know, I, I think he may project out to being a, a, one of the greats, First off, maybe next year he might have some trouble, but Cleveland has definitely improved. And now you're getting into Baker's third year. And same thing with uh, Lamar Jackson. Now he's into his third year, and these players are are ready. They're ready to go. They're NFL-ready players. I mean, Lamar Jackson already being a MVP, and then Baker Mayfield is improving every year. I mean, they've just by drafting him, they've already increased their wins each season by five easy. And the guy can win. He can play. So, yeah, this this entire division, it's going to be, you know, iron sharpening iron to create the best team out of this division. And no matter who it's going to be, I think it's going to be one of the toughest teams to defeat in the AFC and, and give Kansas City some trouble as well when we start talking about Super Bowls for next year. Hey, Hunter, every time I work with you, time flies. Awesome, awesome discussion. We got to cover the entire AFC North in depth as well as the Steelers working that in. So I think if people are in Steeler nation is going to have a lot of fun with this podcast. So thank you once again for being a part of this with us. Hey man, it was truly my pleasure being here. I appreciate you having me back and hopefully we can do it again soon. Like you said, time always flies. I think it's like Friday now, actually. I think we just <laughs> talked for a couple of days. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but it's always fun. And, and we'll be talking to you soon. And everybody, Steeler Nation, you've got to follow Hunter Homestek on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Hunter A. Homestek. That's at H-U-N-T-E-R-A-H-O-M-I-S-T-E-K. Or roll on over to DKPittsburghSports.com, read his articles, get to know the man. He's a huge Steeler fan, knows his stuff, obviously, and we're happy to have him every time he's on here. And obviously, Steeler fans, come on over to SteelerNation.com for the best football forum and news on the internet. You can tweet us at SteelerNation, Instagram us at SteelerNation.com, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at SNStriker with a Y. Thanks for joining us for the SteelerNation.com podcast. I am your host, G Striker, with Hunter Homestek rooting along with you. As always, go Steelers! For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash Keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.